Welcome back to the pod, you guys. I'm Caden, and on today's episode, we will be discussing the Roaring Twenties, if you couldn't already tell by the intro music. But more importantly, we'll be discussing the Prohibition Era, and I'm joined with my co-host, Margaret. Hey, so great to be back again for another episode. And my other co-host, Janaya. Hi, I cannot wait to talk about the Prohibition Period and its long-lasting effect on the world we live in today. And as college students, I think we all have a particular interest in this topic because it's such a stark comparison to what we are all used to today. And I couldn't even think about how life would be if this was happening today. For those of you that are over 21, think over your life and how it would be different without alcohol. Exactly. I can just imagine how many sad faces there are right now listening to this. Yeah, I can't even begin to imagine what people were thinking then or even how our classmates would handle it today. Yeah, at the time, there was a rise in crime after the law was changed, and also a lot of speakeasies and saloons formed, some of which are even still around today, and there are still more being made now, even though the law changed again. People also started to make their own alcohol, which was both illegal and dangerous. And it really changed the way the government levies taxes, too, and it had a big impact on America. From the Roaring Twenties to the start of the Great Depression, it was an interesting decade, to say the least. Prohibition is the action of forbidding something, especially by law. During the 1920s, prohibition was the constitutional ban on the production, importation, transportation, and sale of alcoholic beverages. The 20s were a period of economic prosperity, with a lot of new cultural movements in the United States, particularly in our major cities. For the first time, Americans were moving away from farms to cities. The 20s gave a rise to a lot of new businesses, such as Ford Motors. Also, in 1920, women gained the right to vote. This newfound freedom for women called for new norms. Many young women had a newfound attitude. They dressed differently, wore shorter skirts, and even a new haircut. Prohibition was preceded by the enactment of statewide prohibition laws within nine states starting in the late 1800s and early 1900s. The first state was actually Maine in 1846, but many other states took a while to follow in that direction. Before prohibition began, the federal government received the majority of its revenue from custom duties on imported products and from taxes on alcohol. The taxes on alcohol made up about 30 to 40 percent of the government revenue at the time. Therefore, making alcohol illegal would create a major debt in the government's pockets. So they thought on their feet and used the revenues from income tax to make up for this loss. During this time, having to pay income tax was a status symbol it's not many people required to do so. This is a stark contrast to today, where tax season is dreaded and even the elite try to evade the tax system. Using income taxes as a form of revenue for the federal government allowed the U.S. to ban alcohol. Income taxes were the government's lifeline. They allowed it to still live and operate. This new stream of revenue for the federal government led into a prosperous decade, the Warring Twenties. Like you said, federally mandated prohibition started in the 1920s, and the 20s are also referred to as the Progressive Era. Many people in large cities joined the Progressive Movement, and many progressives supported the prohibition of alcoholic beverages, mainly to destroy the political power of local bosses based in saloons, but others had religious motivations. Exactly, Katie. Speakeasies and saloons, which were depopulated during the 1920s, arise from prohibition laws helping to create the landscape of the Roaring Twenties as we know it today. 
The federal government, along with many others, believed that entertainment business would soar and that sales and items such as chewing gum would rise as Americans looked for a new pastime. However, crime rates rose and many people were out of work because of the new requirements and changes with prohibition. Adversely, prohibition was act enacted to reduce crime and corruption, solve social problems, reduce the tax burden created by prisons and poorhouses, and improve health and hygiene in America. But prohibition laws had a different effect. Like you mentioned, one of the main reasons the progressives wanted to ban the sale of alcohol is because they believed that the sales of clothing and household goods would skyrocket. However, the reality was that those businesses that were thought to skyrocket ultimately failed. Businesses like movie theaters and restaurants failed as they could no longer make a profit without the sale of liquor. Like Janaya said, some even believed that crime would fall. Landlords believed rent prices would rise without saloons, which would make neighborhoods in turn safer. However, this had a counter effect. As the illicit crime rate rose, and we saw a major rise in organized crime and crime lords like Al Capone. A reason the crime rates rose is because alcohol was being illegally distilled and distributed. The prohibition laws opened a door for organized illegal activity to occur. Since prohibition was very unpopular and people refused to go without alcohol, Al Capone and other criminals took advantage of this opportunity and catered to people's desires. Yeah, and with that being said, although prohibition banned alcohol, the legalities of it all were a bit weak. Yeah, Mark Twain said, Prohibition only drives drunkenness behind closed doors. It does not cure or even diminish it, which kind of shows that by enacting prohibition laws, there wasn't really much of an effect on how much people drank. It just changed the location that they did it. Uh, like Janiah was saying earlier, prohibition created a lot of speakeasies and saloons where people would still go and drink secretly despite the law. Yeah, and one of the legal exceptions to the prohibition was that pharmacists were allowed to dispense whiskey by prescription for a variety of ailments like anxiety and influenza. For those who weren't lucky enough to get a prescription, there were still some other ways around the law. Because American citizens were allowed to obtain wine for religious purposes, the enrollments at churches and synagogues saw a large increase in the number of self-professed rabbis who could obtain wine for their congregations. For the latter, many people turned to underground alcohol, and this had serious consequences for public health, as the trade of underground alcohol and the homemade substances rose. On average, it killed a thousand Americans every year. Yeah, and this underground alcohol and illegal production is still going on today, even though prohibition ended a while ago. The banning of alcohol also caused a major change to the way the government collects taxes, and it implemented a similar tax that we see today. The 16th Amendment allowed Congress to levy a federal income tax, and it helped pave the way for prohibition. An income tax is proposed on individuals or even entities based on the income or profits they earn. Federal alcohol tax revenues were more than recovered by the income taxes. Like Janiya said, at the start of the century, the excise tax on alcohol made up about 40% of the total taxes that the government collected. It is estimated that prohibition cost the government $11 billion in lost tax revenue, and it cost over $300 million to enforce. A few years later, the crash of 1929 happened, and it started the Great Depression, and that drastically decreased the tax revenues. With this, the anti-alcohol movement soon lost allies. And with that, the 18th Amendment was appealed, and today it is still the only constitutional amendment to be repealed. After the 18th Amendment was repealed, the United States started the end of Prohibition. 
This resulted in major revenues for the federal government, as excise taxes collected more than $258 million in the first year after the repeal. The end of prohibition and the reinstallment of excise taxes has led to a similar tax breakdown to what we see today. In 2019, about half of the tax revenue came from income taxes, 3% came from excise taxes, and the rest is from things like Social Security, payroll, corporate income, and a lot of other small things. As you can see, individual income tax makes up a huge portion of the tax revenues, and even though 3% sounds small, that is still a lot of money coming from the excise tax. So liquor is still taxed today at different rates depending on the state you're in. Currently, Washington State has the highest, which is about $32.52 per gallon, but all the other states are lower, some even as low as $2.50 per gallon. Alabama is currently around $18 per gallon, which is high compared to some of the nearby states like Louisiana, which is actually one of those states that's at $2.50 right now. And overall, Alabama is ranked 43 out of the 50 states in terms of highest alcohol taxes. Yeah, that's so interesting you mentioned that. I'm actually originally from Louisiana, and my parents always mention that alcohol is always so much cheaper there rather than Alabama. So sometimes they tend to buy in Louisiana compared to Alabama. Yeah, my dad's side of the family is from New Orleans, and whenever he talks about alcohol and the sales and how people treat it, it's so different than here in Alabama or even North Carolina where I grew up. Yeah, so clearly we can still see the effects of more conservative states prioritizing the excise tax, trying to limit consumption or raise more revenue. Yeah, some states still have prohibition laws and are considered dry states today. Kansas, Mississippi, and Tennessee are entirely dry by default, and then the individual counties must specifically authorize the sale of alcohol in order for it to be legal. So for those states that aren't dry, the high tax rate on alcohol causes some people to distill their own alcohol, which is illegal and can be dangerous. Like Caden was saying earlier, producing alcohol on your own can be really dangerous if you're not careful or don't know the, way to, the proper way to do it. But that's actually not the, re- the only reason the government doesn't want people to make their own. Um, alcohol that's made illegally at home is not taxed if the people making it try to sell it to someone else. So the government doesn't get the revenue in either the form of income tax or their excise tax on alcohol. So even if you don't sell it and are just making it for personal use, it's illegal because of the dangers of making it on your own. If you remember the show Moonshiners from a few years ago, you can see that people can legally distill their own alcohol if you obtain the right licenses. However, It's the people who are doing it illegally and selling it in a way that the government gets none of the profits that they're more worried about. I heard it can be hard to obtain the right licenses to distill alcohol, and this may deter people from participating in the process. Also, being taxed on their earnings from alcohol isn't very appealing to illegal distillers, so many will remain underground. Yeah, if the government were to reduce the tax on alcohol, that could have a positive effect on the tax revenues they receive from the excise tax on alcohol. Um, In Canada, cigarettes used to be taxed similarly to how we tax alcohol here in the United States, and that caused a lot of people to make their own or get them imported from elsewhere. So the Canadian government decided to lower the tax rate in an attempt to stop those behaviors, and that actually resulted in the government receiving more revenue on the cigarette tax since people 
stopped buying the fake or imported ones and just bought them directly. Um, so the government was getting all that tax revenue. So basically by lowering the tax rate, they ended up making more money. And if the United States were to act similarly to Canada and lower our tax rate on alcohol, as a result, there could be an increase in profits from the tax on alcohol. Yeah, excise taxes are now used to persuade, limit, or encourage certain behaviors. And to make a long story short, Al Capone once said, prohibition costs nothing but trouble.